0: everyone and welcome to the latest episode of fish bites the miami heralds miami marlins podcast i'm jordan mcpherson well everyone the major league baseball season it's, we're at the end down to two teams the world series starting on tuesday representing the national league the atlanta braves and representing the american league the houston astros and while the miami marlins once again are not playing for it all There certainly is a lot they can learn from both teams that are playing for the World Series title this year. Both teams, just like the Marlins now, went through a rebuilding process not too long ago and came out on the positive side of it. Both teams made sound decisions in both the MLB draft and international free agent markets while supplementing their rosters with free agent signings and timely trades. And now, both are on MLB's biggest stage. Let's take a look at how each team got here and the makeup of each team's roster. We'll start with the Houston Astros. The Astros at their worst had 3 consecutive 100 loss seasons from 2011 to 2013. They averaged a minus 210 run differential over that span, including a minus 238 mark in 2013 when they went 50 and 111. Two years later, they were back in the playoffs but made a quick exit in the 2015 American League Division Series. Two years after that? They won the World Series in 2017, although that championship did, does, and most likely will always have a dark cloud over it due to the team sign-stealing scandal. The Astros, however, have made it back to at least the American League Championship Series every year since. Houston this year went 95-67 and to win the AL West, beat the White Sox in four games in the American League Division Series, and toppled the Red Sox in six games in the ALCS to make it back to the World Series. And their roster, they have basically built it from the ground up. If you look at their offense specifically, six of their nine main position players are homegrown guys. Players who they either signed through international free agency or selected in the MLB draft. Although you can argue there's a seventh, which we'll get to in a second. Those homegrown guys, first baseman Yuli Gurriel, signed in July 2016 as an international free agent. Second baseman Jose Altuve signed as an international free agent in 2007. shortstop Carlos Correa first round pick in 2012 third baseman Alex Bregman as well as outfielders Miles Straw and Kyle Tucker were all drafted in 2015 and then that other guy who you could argue either way Jordan Alvarez, their designated hitter he technically signed with the Dodgers in July 2016 but was immediately acquired in a trade one month later by the Astros and he's been one of their top guys over these last few years Rounding out their offense, uh, Martin Maldonado, catcher, uh, acquired at the 2019 trade deadline as they made that as they tried to make that their latest push in 2019 when they lost to the Washington Nationals in the World Series, and Michael Brantley, their other outfielder, free agent signing in 2018. On the pitching side, uh, their homegrown guys, Lance McCuller, supplemental first round pick in 2012. Luis Garcia, 2017 international free agent, Framber Valdez and Jose Urquidy, 2015 international free agents, and then rounding out the rotation, Zach Grenke, obviously that big acquisition at the 2019 trade deadline when they made that push and to back to get back to the World Series lost there, and then Jake Odorizzi, who they signed ahead of the 2021 season. Again, a lot of homegrown talent, a lot of guys brought up from the beginning throughout the throughout their career born and raised Houston Astros and it's paying off once again as they've made it through made it through the playoffs five consecutive years now for the Atlanta Braves their rebuild more or less took place between 2015 and 2017 they had three consecutive 90-loss seasons during that span and finished more than 20 games back in the National League each each of those three seasons However, since then, from 2018 on, Atlanta's won a division every year, four in a row. Uh, They lost in the NL Division Series in 2018 and 2019 and made it to the NLCS in 2020 where they lost to eventual World Series champions Los Angeles Dodgers before finally making it back to the World Series this year for the first time since 1999. And while the rebuild and that that tanking period, that period where they were down was in 2015 to 2017. A lot of their core has been around a lot longer than that. And it was finding those pieces toward the end to help finally finish putting that roster together. If you start with their offense, obviously first baseman Freddie Freeman is that glue guy, that main piece. He's been, he was their second round pick in 2007. Uh, If you continue going around the diamond, Ozzy Albies, international free agent in 2013, Shortstop Dansby Swanson, while drafted by the Diamondbacks in the first round of the 2015 draft, the Braves acquired him in a trade in December 2015, just six months after he was drafted. Made his MLB debut a year later. Austin Riley, third baseman, their first round pick in 2015. Uh, and then now is where you get to the other guys that are supplementing what they have Travis Darnot, they signed him as a free agent before the 2020 season. He alternated between catching and being a DH during that 2020 shortened season and has been their main catcher all this year. And then when you look at the Braves outfield that they have for this postseason, it's all guys who they acquired midseason due to, obviously, the injury to Ronald Acuna Jr., who just, just, again, thinking about how they're making this run without him just makes it that much more incredible knowing that once he returns, our line's just going to be that much more loaded. And obviously everything that happened with Marcelo Zuma, who has been on paid administratively for the bulk of the season. So with those two guys out, they supplemented their roster by trading for Adam Duvall, Marlins fans, you probably remember that name, uh, Jock Peterson and Eddie Rosario, and all three of them have just been a lifesaver for the Braves as they made that final push, and just the decision for the Braves to go all-in when, again, the NL East with where it was, when they made the trades, it was they were hovering. They weren't even in first place at that point. The entire NL East in terms of the record is basically you had to win your division the division to make the playoffs. The Braves made the decision. They were going all-in even without Acuna, and they made those trades, and they all paid off. And then when you look at their pitching staff, uh, you have Ian Anderson, their first round pick in 2016. Huascar uh, Yanoa, who they acquired in a 2017 trade. Drew Smiley, they signed this offseason. Max Freed, their ace, the ace of the active staff, acquired in a trade in December 2014. And then the veteran Charlie Morton, who was originally drafted by the Braves in 02, debuted with them in 2008, and then spent his career with four other teams before re signing with them this offseason. And again, just like without, just like the fact that they're not doing, they don't have Ronald Acuna in terms on in their outfield, they also don't have Mike Soroka in their rotation. He's twenty nineteen All Star, their first round pick in the two thousand fifteen draft. Missed his entire year with an Achilles injury, and the fact that they don't have him, and knowing what he can provide, it's just the latest reminder of how far ahead the Braves are compared to the rest of the National League East. You saw what the Mets tried to do with all their big signs this offseason, hoping to make the splash and fell up short. You see where the Marlins are right now as they're in year four of their rebuild, and I'll dive into them more specifically in a little bit, but you see how much they still have, have to climb. And you look at the Phillies, who made very minimal movements, basically brought back basically the same group they had in 2020 that couldn't do much. And obviously didn't finish and didn't wasn't able to finish the job. And then the Nationals, who went into a full rebuild mode midseason, once their season started to collapse. So the Braves, as they have been for the last few years, continue to be the top of the National League East. And they showed at the end of the regular season that they're a legitimate force in the National League overall. And now to bring this all back to the Marlins, again, we talked about Houston and Atlanta both gone through rebuilds and saw the positives that came out of it. The Marlins are basically at that point where they've gone through this for four years. Again, 2020, the COVID year, how you decide, determine whether or not that counts in terms of the timeline of the rebuild to each their own. But the Marlins have been going through this for four years now. Three, there are three full seasons. They lost at least 95 games in all three of them. Obviously, they made the playoffs in the 2020 season, the 60-game season where they went 31 and 29, made it to the NLDS before getting whipped by the Braves in three three games in that best of five series. And as we've mentioned time and time and time and time again, the Marlins have established the base of what they need. They got the farm system put together. They have all the they have the slew of top prospects. It's three of three of MLB pipelines top 30 five within the top 100. A lot of the guys who they've traded in and acquired have started to get their footing. Obviously, Sandy Alcantara, who was part of that first wave with the Marcelo Zuma trade, has morphed into their ace. You have Trevor Rogers, who looks like he'll be a stadium number two and is most likely going to be runner-up in the National League Rookie of the Year this year. Uh, Josh Chisholm Jr., Leywin Diaz, Jesus Sanchez, Brian De La Cruz... They sort of began to establish themselves this year as potential long-term fixtures in the lineup. Uh, you see that next wave of pitching coming along with the Max Myers, Jake Either once he comes back from Tommy John. Uh, obviously, you need to see what happens with Edward Cabrera. Hopefully, he can take that next step. Sixo Sanchez, once he comes back from injury. You see the pieces there, but you need to see them find that next step, find that way to establish themselves at the big league level and also find the the Marlins also need to find those two or three pieces specifically when coming to, from the position player side to round out that that lineup it's look like you're going to need an outfielder you need to figure out what the heck you're doing a catcher because obviously once you moved Jorge Alfaro into that utility role playing him in left field playing him in first base and then playing that mix of Alex Jackson, Nick Fortes, and uh, Peyton Henry towards the end of the season, and none of them really separating themselves, the Marlins need to figure out what they're doing there and find out what they can do in, in terms of getting an established bat. Whether it's making that big splash, trying to find, trying to get one of those big shorts up the Carlos Correa's, the Corey Seager's, the Trevor Stories. Or if you go for a guy like a Chris Taylor from the Dodgers, a guy who may not necessarily be the biggest splash, but is a day-in, day-out, consistent veteran who's been there, who's done that, who knows what it takes to get to the playoffs, knows what what it's like to play in those pressure-packed games. The Marlins are going to need to find something of that nature. And again, it's going to be interesting how the offseason goes with the collective bargaining agreement expiring December 1st and how that sort of affects things, whether it's going to be a quick splash for people to sign beforehand, or if everyone waits until the CBA, the new CBA is ratified and there's a mad dash for signings right before spring training. But either way, the Marlins are going to have to find some way, in some way, shape or form. They're going to need to find ways to improve this lineup. And there are no excuses at this point as you go into year five. So on that note, uh, before we end the first half, just quick prediction for the world series. What I would want to see, I would love to see the Braves win in 5 Solely because I want to see the guys like the Freddie Freemans of the world. I want to see him get a ring. And it would be great to see him win it at home. But while my while I f- want to see the Braves win, I just I can't see them getting past the Astros. They're lining up, I feel like, just has a tick more. And their starting pitchers, I feel like, are finally going to turn things around after having... That rough go at times during the ALCS. I'm picking the Astros in six. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. And on the back half of the show, we'll talk some Marlins-specific stuff as we get closer to the off season. So we will be right back.
2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Okay, we're back, everyone. Uh, we're going to start the second half of the show with some housekeeping items and then uh, I'll let you guys listen in on some interviews that we did with some of the Marlins' top prospects who were part of their development camp these last few weeks. Uh, so to start it off, uh, some coaching staff changes. Uh, both Trey Hillman and Robert Rodriguez informed the Marlins last week that they will not be returning to the organization next next season instead deciding to pursue opportunities elsewhere hillman a third year coaching veteran he spent the last three years with the marlins he was first first off he was their first base coach in 2019 and 2020 and then moved over from first base to third base this year but through all three years served as their defensive coordinator for the infield uh robert rodriguez he spent the last four seasons inside the Marlins organization, he was the club's assistant hitting coach in both 2020 and 2021. Prior to that, he was the manager of the Marlins Gulf Coast League affiliate in 2019 and was a defensive coach at the AAA level in 2018. Those are the only two coaching staff changes that have been that are known so far, but more clarity should be there should be some more clarity later this week. And of the Marlins staff, obviously, continuity is a key thing. That was one of the main reasons why they kept uh, manager Don Maddenly. They uh, exercised his mutual option. And trying to keep as much of the staff that's working and knows what they're doing and knows the, knows the players well is a key. The main guy that they need to figure out to stay on board is Mel Steinmeier Jr. Pitching coach. He has done absolutely incredible work. I mean, you look at Sandy Alcantara specifically and how much he's been able to work with him. And then to have him be able to continue the growth of that starting rotation, which is the Marlins' strength and is more than likely always going to be what they build on as they move forward. To keep him would be priority one. And then figuring out the rest of the staff will be the next phase. Next up, Miguel Rojas. The Marlins shortstop and their de facto team captain, uh, he announced on his latest episode of the Chris Rose rotation that he and the Marlins had begun contract extension discussions. Nothing is finalized yet on that front, but from what I've been hearing, a deal could be wrapped up sooner rather than later. Uh, Rojas is only under team control for one more year. His option in his contract for the 2022 season vested when he hit 500 plate appearances. Uh, he's set to make $5.5 million next year. And... Remember, he's the longest-tenured player on this roster after everything that happened with all the trades and just everything through the rebuild. He's been the one guy who, since the beginning, made it clear that he wanted to be here to see the rebuild through the end. He's been through all the struggles. He's been through all the 95-plus lost seasons. He's well-respected in the clubhouse and essentially has served as that player extension of the coaching staff on the field. And we've seen the strides that he's made offensively. Obviously, his defense, when he's fully healthy, he's a gold glove guy. Obviously, he dealt with that finger issue with his left hand for the better part of the second half of the season. So seeing how he recovers from that, what he'll be able to do next year, and potentially for years to come for the next couple of years to come after that, it's looking like he's going to continue to be a staple. In that, in that infield continue to be a mentor for jess Chisholm jr and a bunch of the younger guys and we'll see exactly what happens but stay tuned for more info on that again stuff could come pretty quickly with those contract talks and to wrap up this week's episode uh we're going to hear from a few of the marlins 2021 draft picks they were There were a few of them who took part in the Marlins' three-week development camp at Lone Depot Park. That wrapped up last week. Uh, First up, it's only fitting that we start with the first-round pick, Khalil Watson. Uh, Infielder, considered the steal of the draft when Miami took him number 16 overall. He was expected, projected to be a top-five pick, and then he started to slide. He fell to the Marlins, and... He only played in nine games. That's the main thing I need to point out there. In the rookie league, the rookie level Florida Gulf, the Florida Complex League. But in those nine games, he flashed. He had a hamstring injury that sidelined him. But the Marlins obviously like what they see from him. They see the athlete he is. He's a five-tool guy. Uh, and with that said, here is Khalil Watson. So, Khalil, just first off, how would you evaluate your first season? in Pro Bowl obviously was a short one, but yeah. how would you evaluate getting out there and getting adjusted and getting used to the routines?
3: It was definitely a progress because as soon as I went into it, people were throwing about 97, 95. And in high school, I wasn't seeing that at all. So it was a big difference. I had to adjust to it. It took me about a week and a half, and then they put me out there to play my first game. And then after that, once I got my first hit, it continued to go from there. What uh this whole experience the last few weeks of
4: the development camp, what
3: have you maybe learned? What can you take away from it? Yeah, I've learned a lot, to be honest, uh from on the field side and off the field. Uh coaches just did well on us on information that we need to know so that when we move forward, getting closer into a different little low, low A or different ball team as we play on so it helps out extremely. How
2: was the draft day process for you knowing you know you're gonna be gone in the first round? and Just you know, going a little bit later, later all the way to sixteenth. How was it
3: that day? Uh I'll say I was looking for the top five. Yeah. But after that I already knew my agent told me he was like, you know what, uh, things ain't gonna work out how you want it to work out so if anything go over your head or if something come up, just don't stress about it. So I was not stressing it at all about it at all so that's all
0: uh you know this one I was looking at is that you didn't play many games though. I think Jeff mentioned you had an injury or some sort you elaborate yep. on what happened there and just how you're feeling now
3: uh I'd say about seven games into my season uh I tweaked it a little bit so I was out for at least like two or three days and then after that I was good to play and then once I got out there first day I was good second day I came out there just because I swung off of a fish in the dirt, tried to beat it out, and I was trying to do too much, and then I tweaked it again. Tweaked what, specifically? My hamstring. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I had a grade, a grade two hamstring, so I had to sit out for four weeks, and then now I'm back out here. It still bothers me, but at the same time, I don't even feel it at all when I'm running.
0: Uh, last week when we were out here, we saw uh, Derek came over, pulled to the side, mm-hmm. talked to you. How does that feel in seeing, again, Hall of Fame shortstop, now the CEO of the team that you're on, just for him to pull you aside, talk with you for a little bit, what's that experience like? And without, I know you're not going to share too many details, but just what were some of the messages he
3: sent to you? Uh, Mainly what Derek did, he's just trying to give us knowledge, basically, because he's been around the game for so long, and he's just one of the best players out there that plays shortstop. So it's definitely a dream come true when I first met him. Now it's just like, yeah, he's my boss. I need to learn this knowledge from him and learn things from him, so he definitely helps out a lot. Anything you specifically you're hoping the his bring about? Uh nothing really. Now it's just following the rules and just apply follow through the expectations and just play baseball.
4: You had mentioned uh, you know, the velocity of the you know, pitchers of this level, but also just maybe the Preparation you have to do now maybe or the advanced, you know, metrics,
3: analytics, how, that, how has that transition been to? Uh, it's like once you transition, nothing changes. The ball is still the ball. It's still the same figure coming at you. It's just about getting your timing down, the preparation before the game. Uh, when you hit, you need to make sure you're working outside the zone, in the zone. The balls that they do throw, that's balls. Make sure you read them out the zone so that you can know which your strike or ball. So that's mainly what helped me out.
4: Have there been any guys, uh, like teammates, or guys maybe you were drafted with, you've gravitated to, you come, come close with?
3: Yeah, a lot of them. As soon as I came here, I got close with Ann Lewis, uh, Jordan McCanns, Jose Sally, or Sarah Johnson. I got close with all of them immediately. And it's just like, it's like, you got to have your teammates, you know. So it's, it's real fun.
0: Yeah, once this finishes up this week, what are your off-season plans and what are you hoping to do between now and everything starting back up in February? Yeah, I take about a week off, a
3: week or two off, uh, hunt, and then enjoy myself, and then I go right back to baseball at the, towards the end of the November.
0: Hunting specifically, what are you? With
3: uh, well, me, definitely trying to get this hamstring back 100%. I feel like it is 100, percent but I just need to get it stronger so that it won't never happen again. Um,
4: when he asked you about, I guess, you know, maybe your expectations for athlete or whatever, do you do you feel like you have a chip that you want to prove, like the teams that didn't pick you wrong, or is that just something you don't
3: even care about? Something that I don't care about because at the end of the day, that's just what got you here. Now you got to get through this process so that you can be in the big league. So it's it's not phasing me at all.
0: Next up we have third round pick Jordan McCant, a middle infielder from the Pensacola, Florida area. Uh most for the most part played in the Florida Complex League. Uh I'm just gonna let him dive right into what he learned from this year, the biggest adjustments, and what he hopes to build on this coming off season. Alright, well Jordan, let's start off. How was your first year of Pro Bowl? Um it was kinda, you know, had ups and
2: downs. Uh, you gotta learn to exist. Uh, it's pro ball, you know. It's gonna happen. Uh, you know, the struggles come with, you know, success. So good. very good,
0: very good friendship. Uh, what was the biggest adjustment going from being a high school kid where you're balancing a bunch of other things to where baseball becomes priority one?
2: Um, baseball has kind of always been priority to me. Uh, you know, my mom's a big, uh, you know, education first type. I, I was education first too, not gonna lie. But it was like. Baseball's has always been my dream, so I kind of always took that serious, and uh, just getting here and being around those people who take it as serious as me, it's amazing. What, you know, how much of a
4: whirlwind is it? You know, you get graduation, I'm sure, you know, drafted, and then, okay, go off, live on your own now.
2: Yeah, it's, it's uh, the transformation one is hard for me. Uh, I kind of did this all my life, you know, in travel ball. Uh, going from state to state. Uh, my parents would stay home. They would send me off with my travel coaches. I would stay in a hotel by myself as well. So uh, it wasn't really as new. You know, just uh, kind of standing in one spot in Jupiter. It was hot every day. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was probably the biggest adjustment. How was it, like, getting that call that you were going to be driving the third round? And oh. knowing it was Derek Jeter that wanted you on the team. I, I can't yeah. explain it. Like, it, it's a feeling that I cannot explain until this day. I, I just, uh, <laughs> I, I wanna thank God for everything, you know, He's ahead of my life, uh thank him for everything and that moment just I, I could never feel it again probably. How did you and your family celebrate? Um the draft was like 12, 12 o'clock that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so me and my family I kinda had an idea that I was gonna get drafted so we told everybody to come over about five or six o'clock so we'll have a little dinner and stuff and you uh, know. I had my intermediate family over at like 12, so uh, when I got the call, we just, you know, the news was there, everybody was clapping, you know, celebrating, videos, and we just ate.
0: Uh, <laughs> what did you eat?
4: Yeah.
2: Uh, we had, my grandmother, my grandmother cooked. She had some macaroni and cheese, sweet uh, candy ams, uh chicken wings. We had fried chicken, Good baked chicken, everything, Like. Anything you can think of, that's soul food.
0: Uh, When did the moment become real? Was it when you got the phone call? Was it when you signed? Was it when you got to Jupiter and took your first at-bat? When did it fully sink in for you?
2: Uh, It fully sunk sunk in when I was on a flight to go to Miami, uh, uh, to go to to Jupiter, actually. And uh, just on that flight, I was thinking the whole time, like, Jordan, this is what you always dreamed of. You know, go up there and uh, have fun and always play the game that you love, but play it like you love it.
4: What
2: has been the thing that stood out the most playing in pro Bowl so far? Um, probably the amount of you know managers and stuff, and uh, you know the amount of help you get, you know the attention that you get on like your, your personal
0: needs and stuff.
2: Uh, that probably stood out the most.
0: Uh, for people who may not have had a chance to see you in person, how would you describe yourself as a player? Um,
2: I use my speed to an advantage. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a win-win first player. Uh, I love to compete. Uh, so I've always been that that guy that where any team I'm on is always about the team, never about me. Uh, I just want to go out there and win, and you know, hopefully one day get a ring here, uh, bring take it back to Pensacola, you know, and just inspire the kids in there, uh, the youth in Pensacola as well. Did
4: you get a lot of Wahoo's
2: games growing up, or? Yeah, I used to. Go go to a good amount. Uh, actually, I used to go there when they were back when they were the Twins organization. You know, then they then they went to the Reds and now they're the Marlins. So uh, you know, I, I've been there for a while. N- never never thought I would actually play for the Guahus or have a chance to play with them one day. You know, I, I used to play on that field back in high school. We played rival games there, so it's, it, it was great knowing knowing that I could one day play with them as well. What
1: that mean to
2: you? That meant a lot. You know, just uh, just coming back and you know. Having the kids where I'm from, just being able to see me play back in Pensacola and, you know, somebody who can they can look up to and uh, you know, just be there for them also at their practices and stuff during the week because I'll live there, you know, instead of just going home every offseason, I'll actually be there, you know, so. uh,
0: Who are some the players you look up to growing up, modeled your game after?
2: Uh, Robinson Cano, back when he played with uh, the Yankees, mm-hmm. uh, was my biggest uh, role model. I, I did everything he did. Uh, my number was 23 because of Michael Jordan, but
3: uh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, Cicano, he, he was just, he was everything on the baseball field to me. You know, I, it was, it was to the point that where I would see what he did off the field as well. Which is uh, why he also became a bigger role model to me, you know, knowing what he does off the field for the for his community and stuff.
1: Um, and what aspect of your game would you like to improve the most in 22? Uh, my
2: weight. Uh, I'm going into the off season. I'm going to definitely get on the weight training program. Uh, I should be back, you know, better than ever. How uh, much you want to weigh? Um, my first weigh-in at Jupiter was 155. I left there at wow. yeah, 165. Okay. By the time this off-season's over, I'll try to be, be 175,
4: 180.
2: What someday. are you going to be eating to get to that? <laughs> um, <laughs> or is it going to be? The soul food's going to help. The soul food will help. The right? soul <laughs> yeah. food will help on, on Sundays, you know, after a good church service. But, uh... You no, I, I definitely been on a nutrition program. You know, my agent and stuff is going to set all that up. Uh, he played in the big leagues for a minute, uh, Reggie Jefferson. Uh, he, he knows those type of things you have to do, you know, with the you know, eating, uh, training-wise, you know, everything. So. You mentioned you'd go to the football games.
4: You didn't get to go to any this year before being drafted,
2: did you? No, I was actually going to go out to throw the first pitch after I was drafted, but uh I wasn't vaccinated at the time, so uh-huh. tomorrow is was going to be quarantined before I came down to Jupiter. Okay. That, that would have been amazing. could have been yeah, right pretty funny because then
4: you could end up, you know, I don't know if there's any overlap with this camp, but like seeing guys that are in organizations
2: yeah. like, hey, I just, I was in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I, I told all the, like some of the Wahoo players who came down for rehab, I was like, man, you probably don't even know me, but I, I watched you play before. <laughs> uh, even before you, like all, you know, bigger names like Royce Lewis and stuff, when he played. Uh, I'll be there and just watch him like this little kid I catch a ball and like go up to my parents like hey I got a ball uh, so uh, uh,
4: the other guys that were drafted your year I mean has there anyone that you've kind of formed a bond with off the field
2: or yeah you know uh, yeah we got a uh, on the GCL team you know we're all kind of cool with each other on and off the field uh, you know and it's just I think that's going to be a big impact too on the future, you know. When we're ready and all play, and hopefully we stick together and
0: all make it there together, you know, so we can win together. <laughs> and finally, we have 18th round pick Bennett Hostelter, uh, an infielder from, originally from Montana, went to North Dakota State for college, and he was the surprise and the fastest riser out of this Marlins draft class from their condensed first season of pro ball. He was the only one to make it up to Class A Advanced Beloit, and he not only was consistent to play, now he's facing, taking on the challenge of learning a new position. He was primarily in, a middle infielder in high school and college, and now he's learning how to be a catcher. So with that, here is Bennett and what he's learned from this season and the challenges of learning a brand new position this late in his career. Well, first off, I got to start with the odds question. How is the transition to
1: catcher going? Uh, it's going well so far. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of new experiences for me. Um, a lot of stuff that you wouldn't think about unless, unless you're around catching. So I'm um, just trying to soak in as much information that, that I can. And, you know, the coaches that we have that I'm working with are, are being are being great. You know, they're patient. They're helpful. They're, they're understanding of, of what I'm going through. So, you know. Day by day, I'm getting a little bit better.
0: Can you give us a couple of examples of those little things you may have thought about?
1: Um, you know, just knowing where to be at the right time. Like, for example, today we did a rundown drills, and obviously me being in the infield, um, you know, prior to this, I, I knew where to be all the time. and um, You know, obviously there's, there's some things you don't think about. Um, so just be, knowing where to be, um, you know, when a runner gets picked off at a certain place, knowing where to back up, things like that.
0: Have you ever caught before?
1: Mm-mm, no. No.
0: This is my first time. Yeah. How was that conversation brought up to you, going, hey, we're considering doing this? How did that approach you, and when did that come up?
1: Um, I was actually in Beloit. It was probably like my second or third day in Beloit, and Patrick Osborne was one of the minor league coordinators. Um, uh, they, they travel around to different teams, and he was in Beloit at the time, and he came up to me and um, you know, it was just like, hey, will you, will you meet me in the dugout in, in a couple of minutes? So sure. I got dressed, went out to the dugout, and he, uh, him and I just had a conversation Know, he kind of just was like you know don't get freaked out by this or don't take this wrong way but um you know have you ever caught before and i was like no um and then he kind of proceeded to go into this spiel about um you know it's, it's good for a lot of guys careers um you know with guys like my body type being infielders having good hands good feet things like that um it can make the transition a little bit easier um and you know he kind of just laid it out that everybody's looking for catching so um it's it's a good way to to improve your career and um, you know, I, I just kind of bought into it, and, and uh, here we are. You had a good amount of success this season, you know. So what, uh, what goals do you have for the 2020 BC? Uh For next year, you know, I'm just looking to, to stay as consistent as possible. You know, that's, that's one thing. Um, with baseball, that, that's very important. You know, it's, you know, having the same routine, having the same, you know, approach at the plate, approach on defense, things like that. Um, so I'm just looking forward. To, uh, to continuing to be able to do that for next year. What
4: did it feel like that first time behind the
1: plate? It was weird, I'm not going to lie. It was weird. Um, but, you know, each time each time I get out there in, in the bullpen when we're doing drills, it gets a little bit more comfortable for me. Um, you know, obviously I'm not where I want to be yet, having it be, you know, not quite three weeks of it, but um, slowly but surely we're going to get there.
4: What's been the easiest thing to pick up and the thing that you've maybe taken a little bit longer to
1: yeah, um, the thing I think that's that took me the longest to figure out, and obviously I'm still going to be figuring out over the off season, was blocking just, you know, because my natural reaction as an infielder would be to just try to pick every everything that's on the ground. Um, and so to try to have to flip my mindset of let it hit you um, was very different for me. Um, we haven't talked a bunch about it, but I think one thing that I'll be... Pretty good at is being able to call a game or you know control a pitching staff because um, having played shortstop in the past, you know I'm, I'm pretty used to that. You know, giving the pitcher a little pep talk to get out to the mound, or you know trying to trying to figure out what what opposing hitters are thinking, what pitch would be good in what situation. So um, I think that's one thing I'm looking forward to. I'm curious
0: about you just mention talk about your success during the season. What surprised you or impressed you the most about what you were able to do in the short amount of time in your first pro ball year?
1: Um, you know, I think it just goes back to that consistency thing. You know, you get to pro ball and everybody has talent. Everybody has tools. Everybody, you know, is wherever they came from was the best player on their team there. Um, and so I think that that one thing that, that I kind of figured out early on when I started having success was, you know, the, the more even keel you can be and, you know, same, same thing, different day kind of approach, I think that, that is, you know, one thing that I figured out quick that helped me early on.
0: What was your thoughts when you got moved up to boy? I mean, not many people were able to go from getting drafted, especially the lower rounds, to being up in high A by the end of the first couple of months.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a cool experience for me, just obviously it being my first time, you know, getting called into the manager's office and, you know, him, him breaking the news that I got moved up. It was a cool experience for me. It was a cool experience for, for my family. You know, I got home that night and I called my parents, and they were super happy for me, and so like they always are um, so I'm just looking forward to more of that in the future yeah I'll be going back uh, back home close to close to Fargo where I went to school um, so I'll be I'll be in a short drive assistance there and you know hopefully I'll be able to work a, a decent amount um, with the catching coach I have there you know he, he said he would be more than willing to help me out Obviously, he, he understands the transition I'm going through, and there will be someone that I can that I can talk to and get information from. Um, so you know, I'll just be looking forward to staying in shape, um, you know, working out, hitting wise, defense wise, and obviously, um, I have a long way ahead of me in the catching department. But you know, looking forward to that challenge. Been able to measure your pop time yet, or no? <laughs> uh, we actually did throw the other day. Um, I don't know if they were official times, but it, I was told that it wasn't bad you feel comfortable going all the way? Like yeah, for now. But, you know, get it, get me in a game situation. It might be different, but, you know, we'll figure it out when I get there. You mentioned going back up to the park, are you going to enjoy the Miami weather while you can until then? I am, yeah. You know, you can't complain about 85, sunny every day. So, you know, I there's occasions when, when I miss the snow, but, you know, I, when I get back to there and it's it's below freezing and and snow everywhere, I'll, I'm sure I'll miss Miami. How,
4: how far is snow? That's part of the country. Country. How far did you ever have to
1: travel? Like, the first, you had to travel for the sporting
0: event.
1: Um, I think the furthest in college that we had to go on a bus mm-hmm. yes. was 26 hours. We bus we bus oh, to Eastern yeah. Kentucky. Um, Ooh. so that was the farthest I ever went on a bus. Wow. Hot,
4: hot.
1: Thankfully, I'm pretty good at sleeping on a on a moving vehicle, so I like to fill my time with a bunch of sleep. You know, when I am awake, it's a lot of cars, a lot of a lot of Netflix. Um, so, you know, pretty much keeping your mind busy anyway you can. What's on the Netflix queue right now? Right now, not much. I just kind of repeat the same shows. Um, know i like i like watching friends i don't know if that's still on netflix but i think it took it off yeah um (laughs) i enjoy watching friends and that's that's a
0: popular one that's on the tv pretty much any hotel you go to so i try to do that all right and that's gonna do it for this week's episode of fish bites thanks so much again for tuning in i'm jordan mcpherson and when we talk next week we're gonna be going into an off-season primer. what to expect all uh, the key dates to know what, a, what impacts the collective bargaining agreement discussions are going to have on the offseason and just what we think the Marlins need to do and what we hope to see the Marlins do as the offseason starts to unfold. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a good one.